Harbour Church. Would you welcome Rebecca as she comes? Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Shalom. It's so good to be here and hear that for the second time from Pastor Adam. Um, so so cool, so cool how God works. I mean, I can actually relate to that story a little bit. Not that I've seen the Liberated Wailing Wall, which is the name of the very strange uh, singing group that he saw. It was very 80s. Um, my, dad, my dad's seen them, so you can quiz him about them. But um, Jewish believers in Jesus uh, sharing the gospel is why I now believe in Jesus. Um, and yeah, you have the bonus of my dad being with us this morning. So you can bail him up after the service and ask him about that story of how a Jewish believer in Jesus shared the gospel with his Jewish family and how they came to faith in Jesus and how I was able to grow up in a family that was Jewish but knew that Jesus was the Messiah. So yeah, so I get it. I get it. It's amazing how those seeds are planted and how God works through generations. And yeah, I get to be here representing a ministry called Jews for Jesus. Um, some of you may be a little confused by the name. It does sound a little bit like a contradiction, maybe like vegetarians for meat or something, like a little bit. It's a little bit strange, but if you think about it, Jesus himself was Jewish. All the disciples were Jewish. Peter, John, Andrew, they were all Jewish. The writers of the New Testament were Jewish. So believing in Jesus started off as a very Jewish thing. But you see, God broke down that dividing wall that divided Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, and he brought us all together as one in the body of Christ. And that's why this heritage that is my family's that we celebrated every year, um, brought a little picture. Oh, is this going to work? There we go. Ta-da, there we go, yes. Uh, here's a little snapshot of the Bron family Passover. So our family celebrated Passover every year. This is something that I'm very familiar with, and I'm very excited to share it with you. So even though this is my heritage, um, it's something that you guys can all join in with as well because God has invited us all in together. So I grew up on a dairy farm just outside of Bulls. So, um, but I now live in Sydney, have lived there for nearly four years, and I work with Jews for Jesus. And I have the privilege of part of what I do is going around churches and sharing the Jewish roots of our faith. And today I'll be sharing Christ in the Passover. And this is the first time I have been traveling around New Zealand sharing. So I'm, it's great, it's great to be home. And yeah, thank you for having me. It's so exciting. So you guys share in the rich heritage of the Jewish people and um, the people of Israel and all that God did to reveal himself through the fathers and through the prophets. This heritage is your heritage. And so we're going to look at one aspect of this. We're going to look at the Passover today and the story of God's account of how he delivered the Jewish people from bondage to slavery in um, Egypt, slavery to Pharaoh. Now, the Jewish festivals, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of festivals. If you ever go to Israel, they seem to be having holidays all the time. Um, they can be summed up like this. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. 
That's exactly. And Passover is no exception. It involves a lot of food. It also involves some very strange food, which you guys will be very glad. This is just a presentation today. You do not have to try any of it. But if you're brave, feel free to come up after the service and try some horseradish and different things. But I'm going to talk through what this is all about. But first, we're going to see how God delivering um, Israel from Egypt, he when he did this, he actually wove into the very fabric of the story a picture of a far greater redemption from all the world, from the Egypt of sin through our Passover lamb, who is Jesus. So today, as we look at this very significant feast, which, you know, Jesus celebrated with his disciples in the upper room. It was very significant. We're going to learn the history of it, but we're also going to see Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. And I think as, as we were worshiping just before and we were singing, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, I just felt that prayer for church. And I was just praying, God, open our eyes and our hearts to see to see what you have to say today. And the result will be that we will see you high and lifted up. And that is what, that is my prayer. As I share some of the depths of this with you guys, that you will see him high and lifted up and holy and glorified. So travel back in time with me to the first Passover. I'm going to jump through. Okay, there we go. So the first Passover is found in Exodus 12. Now, you guys remember, who here is fans of the Prince of Egypt movie? Yeah, oh, more of you need to see it. Come on, guys, it's a classic. I actually, I was sharing this talk at a youth group re recently. None of them had seen it. It's really sad. I'm like, parents, you need to be teaching your kids. But anyway, we're all familiar with the Prince, some of us are familiar with the Prince of Egypt, or we're familiar with the story of Exodus. So the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for years. God had promised that he would rise up a deliverer. He did. It was Moses. Moses said, let my people go. But Pharaoh was stubborn. He wouldn't, but you know, God can be very persuasive. So God sent 10 plagues on the land of Egypt to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go. But you see, the Israelites lived in a different part of Egypt that was called Goshen, and the plagues did not affect them there. So the animals got sick in Egypt. They did not, the Israelites' animals didn't get sick. Darkness covered all of Egypt, but not Goshen. So nine out of the 10 plagues did not affect Israel. But the 10th plague, which was the worst, the death of every firstborn son was different. For this, God had some different instructions for how Israel could escape this. And we're going to read this here. So either read along on the screen or we're reading Exodus 12, verses 5 to 11, and then 11, uh, 5 to 8, and then 11 to 15. All right. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of their homes where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. 
The blood will be a sign to you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. So there's a lot going on in there. We're going to talk about the lamb and the blood a little bit later. But for now, I want to start with this end bit where God's talking about eating bread made without yeast and you have to get it out of your homes. So what is that all about? Well, Passover involves a lot of preparation. We go around the house and we get rid of all the bread and we have to clean out the house because of these instructions from God. Now, the rabbis say that this is because of the first Passover, where the Israelites had to leave Egypt in haste. They didn't have time to let their bread rise. They took it without, it was just flat. It was flat. Um, so what we do at Passover is we remember that first Passover, that first time they had to escape and they had to take the bread with them. So we're remembering what happened. God knows we're forgetful people. So he's saying, I want you <laughs> to have these set ways for you to remember the goodness that I did to you. Like we were singing today, the goodness of God. Like let's remember that he's been faithful to us. That is exactly what he was doing for the Israelites. So Passover involves preparation. And we know in the most famous Passover of all time, the, um, the Last Supper in the upper room, Jesus told his disciples, I think it was Peter and John, go and prepare for the Passover. So they were preparing, they were doing these things. Now it's interesting that um, the the, the bread, so at, at Passover, we get rid of all the bread in the home, and we have something instead called matzah. Has anyone here tried matzah? Have you guys, yeah, not many of you. Feel free to come and just have a little bit. It's like a cracker. Um, so we have matzah, and that's remembering. But there's also another side of the matzah. It is without yeast. It is without leaven. And that is something that biblical authors often use as a symbol for sin. So the yeast can symbolize sin because in the same way that a small bit of yeast is added to the main batch of bread, which causes it to rise and puff up, just a small bit of sin in our lives can affect our whole lives, causing us to puff up with pride and not see ourselves truly. So the Apostle Paul actually does this very thing. In 1 Corinthians, he says, let me find the scripture, um, He's, he's, talking, he's talking to the Corinthian church and he's talking about Passover and he says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, sinless, as you really are for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So he's taking the ceremony and he's elevating it. He's saying, okay, not only is it to remind you, but now it's also to remind you of sinlessness and what Jesus did. So once the home is cleansed of all the yeast. All the yeast is out of the home, not allowed bread for a week. Um, we are ready for what is called the Passover Seder. So Seder means order because this Passover meal follows a specific order of service, which is found in a special book called the Haggadah. Can everyone say Haggadah? Haggadah, yeah, basically fluent. So if you were invited to Passover at my home, 
we would all sit at the table and dad would do most of the reading. Uh, we would sit for a few hours and we would read through the whole book. But you'll be very happy to hear that we are just having a summary to this morning. We are not reading the whole book. And that little parts of the Haggadah can be found, everyone has a leaflet, pamphlet on their seats, can be found in this. So the first thing we're going to read from in the Haggadah is on the second page. It's under blessings over the candles. So the first thing we do is we light the candles. So I'm going to light these candles. I'm going to say a blessing over them in Hebrew. And then I'd love to invite all the ladies here to read along the blessing over the candles with me because it is the woman's honor to light the candles. We do this. And these candles remind us of Jesus, the light of the world. And it's a wonderful privilege that they are writ, uh, lit by the woman because you see Jesus came into the world through the seed of a woman. The prophet Isaiah foretold and said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, a light to light the nations and the glory of my people Israel. So not only are they welcoming in the Passover, but we who are believers in Jesus see that they remind us of the ultimate Passover lamb, the light of the world. Okay, I'm going to say it in Hebrew, and then you can all join me in English. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav, b'tzivanu lahadlik mech, shel yom tov. All right, all the ladies, read the blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. Amen. So the Seder has begun. And at the Passover table, we have four cups. I've got them all here. Each of them represents something different. And during the evening, we fill and drink from the cups four times. So the first cup we have is the Kiddush cup, the cup of sanctification. This sanctifies the whole Passover. The second cup is the cup of plagues. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And this is the focal point of the entire ceremony. This is very special. We're going to sit on this cup for a while. And the last cup is the cup of praise. So what happens? We fill the first cup and say a blessing over it. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. So all of these would be done by dad. This is the dad's, the head of household's job to say these prayers. And we know that Jesus would have sanctified his Passover in the upper room because when he held up the cup, he said, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine, speaking from the, uh, the prayer there, until we all come together in the kingdom. So we can imagine Jesus beginning his Seder in this way with these prayers. Now, it's tradition at the Jewish table to follow the blessings over the fruit of the vine with one for the bread of the earth. But just spent, you know, quite a while explaining to you all that we're not allowed any bread at Passover. So what are we going to do? Well, something else we have at the table is this thing. It is called a matzah tosh. Inside, there are three layers of matzah. So what dad does, there we go, is he takes out the middle layer of matzah. If I can find it, there it is. Okay, so we don't have bread, but we do have matzah. And then he blesses it. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. 
and then we don't eat it just yet. Break it in half, and then half is wrapped in a white cloth, and this is hidden. And later on, all the children in the family need to go and look for this hidden piece of matzah in order for the Seder to continue. And because it is hidden, it has a special name, which is called the afikomen, which in Greek means that which comes later. So we're going to learn and talk about the afikomen a little later on. Okay, so at the Passover table, it's all about remembering, and it's all about including the whole family. So, you know, mum's lit the candles, dad's reading through the books and saying the blessing, but there's also a lot of tarts for the children because it's so important. God always said, teach your children, and this is one of the ways that throughout the years the children have been involved is they ask four questions. So we have the questions, if you want to read them all, um, on the first page of your pamphlet. They're asking questions like, why, why on this night do we only eat unleavened bread? Like, why don't we have normal bread? Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs? Why are we dipping them? Why on this night are we reclining at the table? So we have to answer. So for the reclining question, I don't know if you remember in the Gospels at the Last Supper, it says Jesus and his disciples were reclining. Everyone slouch in your seats. We're reclining. I don't know, I can't do it up here. Reclining at the tables. So Passover is more than just a story that we're reading from a book. We're really entering into it. And the reason we recline on cushions is because our ancestors in Egypt were slaves. Back in that day, in ancient society, only the free could recline at dinner, only the redeemed. So when we're at the table together, we're like, we are not slaves anymore. So we're really tangibly feeling that as we recline and relax at the dinner table. And we are also, we say in response to the children's questions, this is because of what the Lord did for me when he saved me and brought me out of the land of Egypt, when he saved me with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, when he provided the sacrifice of the Passover lamb for my family. So earlier in those scriptures, we saw the instructions that God instructed the Israelites to take the blood of a perfect lamb and to paint it on the doorposts of their home. And those who did this were spared the ravages of the 10th plague, the death of every firstborn son in the land of Egypt. When the, Lord passed through, um, when the Lord passed through Egypt and saw the blood on the doorposts of the home, death was forced to pass over. So that's where we get the name Passover from, or we say Pesach in Hebrew. And in the same way that my ancestors had to apply in faith the blood of lambs to the doorposts of their home, we all as believers in Jesus have to apply in faith the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, to the doorposts of our hearts because he has fulfilled it. He is the ultimate fulfillment. Now, for the other questions of the child, on all other nights we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we only eat bitter herbs. So in answer to that, we're going to have a look through the Seder plate. So this is a picture of the Seder plate. This is a Seder plate here that I'm borrowing from mum and a little bit of food that represents this Passover story goes into each of the Seder plates. Because you see throughout the years, um, the Jewish people have added elements to this Passover story to help them remember it. So all but the last two 
would have been part of the Seder that Jesus and his disciples celebrated together in the upper room. So I think when you guys read the story, you'll be able to picture it a little bit more, what they're doing, where it says, you know, those who dip, dip in the herbs with me. And there's different things. I think maybe you'll be able to picture it a bit more. So I'm now going to talk you through what each thing is. So the first thing we have is salt water which represents tears, or it can represent the saltiness of the sea that the Israelites cross through. And then we have kapis, greens. We use parsley, and it represents life. So what we do is we dip it into the salt water. And as we're eating the salty parsley, it's reminding us of the tears of the lives of our ancestors as they were slaves in Egypt. And we're really entering into this and feeling it along with them. So the next thing on the Seder plate is the root of a bitter herb. Um, you, if you can find a horseradish root, brilliant. I don't know where you find them. Uh, <laughs> my granny said she grows them in her garden, so maybe you have a granny who has a horseradish root. But otherwise, you can use an onion to represent the bitterness, the root of life that was bitter for our ancestors in Egypt but you don't have to eat it. Though, guys, every youth group I've ever spoken at, they always end up eating the raw onion afterwards without every time, so. <laughs> All right, then we have the maror. So this is the bitter herb itself, and unfortunately, you do have to eat it. So what you do is you break off a big piece, uh, a piece of matzo, and you take a big scoop of horseradish. It's supposed to have about this much. It's a lot. If anyone's had horseradish or wasabi, you know what's going to happen. It's going to clear your sinuses, all right? And you're going to start crying, which is literally we're feeling the pain and we're crying. And that's what's happening at the table. We're like, okay, we get it. They had a hard life. Oh, my goodness. So that is the maror. By way of contrast, we have haraset. So this is chopped apple. It's mixed with honey, nuts cinnamon. It's really good. It tastes great after a huge mouthful of horseradish. Trust me. So we also scoop up some haroset. And this represents the mortar that our ancestors um, used when they made bricks for Pharaoh. That's what this represents. Now you might be wondering, why do we have something sweet? What, what happened to the spicy, salty things that made us feel sad? Well, rabbis have a really beautiful way of explaining it. And they say that even the hardest things in life can be made sweet with the promise of redemption. And I think this theme of redemption, we can see it throughout you know, the, the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. God promised a redeemer. And then throughout the story of the Bible was all about a redeemer coming. So I love that one. And, even, and it does taste great. So the last two items on the Seder plate were added after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So they were added later on. They were not part of Jesus' Seder. What we have here is two things that speak to us of the temple sacrifices that no longer happen. So we have a chagiga. It's just a boiled egg. The chagigah was what we called the temple sacrifices. And so what we do with this is we peel it, we dip it in the salt water to represent again tears and sadness. And it just reminds us with sadness as Jewish people that the temple was destroyed and there are no longer sacrifices. And the zoroah, which is the shank bone of a lamb, reminds us of the same thing because the lamb that was traditionally eaten at Passover was temple sacrifices. And since 
70 AD, there have been no more sacrifices. So if you ask a Jewish person nowadays, wait, you guys don't sacrifice anymore. It looks like it was a pretty important thing in the Bible, like in the Old Testament. What do you guys do? They'll probably say one of three things, that we get redemption from sin through prayer, repentance, or good deeds. Because that is what the rabbis all came together after the destruction of the temple. And they said, how are we going to practice our religion? And they came up with these three ways. So that is what modern-day Judaism has morphed into. But we know... In the law of Moses, it states very clearly that redemption and forgiveness from sin can only come through the shedding of blood. So that answer doesn't satisfy. That prayer, repentance, and good deeds are all good things, but that's not what God laid out. So thank goodness we know the answer, which we are going to get into very soon. So that is the Seder plate. And after that, we come to the second cup the cup of plagues. Now, in Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But at this moment, we're actually going to pause and we're going to take away some of our joy as we reflect on this with sadness on the plagues that came upon Egypt. So what we do is we have a full cup and we take our fingers and as we recite the 10 plagues of Egypt, we put 10 drops of the drink on our plates as we uh, deplete some of the joy. And we feel empathy for what happened to Egypt in the second cup. Okay, so about halfway through the Seder, we've made it halfway through the book, we actually pause and we have dinner. And we're all very excited for dinner because to this point, all we've had is some matzah and horseradish and we're all hungry. I feel like that's one of my predominant memories of celebrating Passover as a child. I'm like, I'm hungry. When is food? (laughs) And oh, matzah tastes quite good now. So we pause and we have dinner. After dinner, dad gathers us back at the table. It's like, come on, guys, we've got to read the second half of the book. Um, And then we have some more traditions. So the next tradition I want to talk about is the prophet Elijah. So let me set this up for you. This is Elijah's special cup. Imagine with me, all my family is sitting around the table, but we have an extra plate. We have an extra cup. We have an extra chair. And no one's sitting there. It's just spare. And that is for the prophet Elijah. Why is that? Okay, one of the children goes to the door at this point to check if the prophet Elijah is at the door. If he is at the door, we're going to invite him in and he'll have dinner with us. And then he will announce that the Messiah has come. Where did this tradition come from? Well, we jump back to one of the prophecies in the Old Testament. God said through the prophet Malachi, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Which is, in other words, before the Messiah comes, Elijah the prophet's going to come back and announce it. So it's tradition for Jewish families to check and see if he's there and see if the Messiah is going to be announced. Isn't that amazing to think? Every year at Passover, Jewish families are waiting to see if the Messiah comes. Even if for some of them it's just a tradition. Maybe they don't believe it. A lot of them are still hopeful, you know. Well, even though my family did keep that tradition, we do know that in the New Testament, Jesus looked at his cousin John the Baptist and he said, if you care to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. And we know that John came in the spirit of Elijah and was the announcer for the Messiah because when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John understood who Jesus was and why he came and what he was representing. And he is our Lamb of God. And as believers in Messiah, this Passover story is 
all of our story. Redemption from slavery to sin is possible now, not through the ancient sacrifices anymore, but, and not through the blood of those lambs, but through the blood of the Lamb of God, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And it's all of our stories. And because of the Lamb of God, we also can pass over from death to life, from mourning to feasting. All right. So again, after dinner, we're back at the table and we can't continue on until something, something was hidden and we need to find it. Do you guys remember the afikoman? Yeah, so all the children go on a treasure hunt and they look for this afikoman. And when they find it, they give it to dad and he breaks off a small piece for everyone. Before I talk about this, I want to grab us a piece of matzah. And we want to talk about the matzah. Ooh, that's a half. Here we go. Okay. We'll talk about that for coming in a moment. So everyone can see the matzah. Okay. The matzah is representative of the Passover lambs. It's also unleavened, as we talked about, which biblical authors say is, represents sinlessness. It can remind us of Jesus. You can see it's striped. It also has holes in it. Can everyone see the holes? So there are very specific ways of how the matzah is to be made. Jesus was striped. Prophet Isaiah said, with his stripes we're healed. Prophet Zechariah said, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. So even though this matzah would have looked different 2,000 years ago when Jesus had it, nowadays it can remind us of him. And when Jesus took the matzah and he held it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He was putting himself as the matzah. Now we can also see the gospel not just suggested in the matzah, but also in this matzah tosh, which is a strange compartment. It has three and yet it's one. We're not really sure where the tradition came from. Some of the rabbis say that this represents the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then why is the middle matzah taken out, broken, hidden, and brought back? We're not sure where the tradition came from, but there's another little-known explanation for the matzotosh that has first-century roots. So Jewish believers in Jesus realize that the unity of the matzotosh can point us to the unity of one God found in three people. So when we ask the question as believers in Jesus, why is the middle matzah taken out? It's quite obvious. It represents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because the Son came to earth he was broken, buried, and he came back to life. So when we as believers in Jesus look at the matzah tosh, we're like, hmm, we're pretty sure we know where that tradition came from. So isn't that interesting? That's what the matzah tosh represented. Now, the afikoman is eaten after the meal. In the Gospels, it says that after the meal, Jesus took the cup. So we know that it was the cup of redemption that he was talking about. He took the afikoman. And he broke off a little bit. This is what we do. We break off a little bit for everyone in the family. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And then he held up the third cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What does this look like? Let's remind everyone of something. Yeah, this is the origin of the communion service. And when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, he was speaking of the new covenant that God said to the prophet Jeremiah. So God spoke through Jeremiah. And he said, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write it. 
I will be their God and they will be my people for I will forgive their sin and remember their iniquity no more. So Jesus was alluding to this prophecy. This was the ultimate condition that the new covenant rested on, that the sins will be forgiven. No longer would there be the daily offerings of animal sacrifices at the temple, but once and for all, God would deal with this most difficult of human predicaments. <laughs> Jesus coming to the very highest point of the Seder, the third cup, raises the bread and raises the cup, and he says, that which you've been waiting for, it's now come. It's come in my blood. Can you imagine how the disciples felt? They would have celebrated the Passover year after year after year, and now they see it fulfilled before their very eyes. To imagine that God, after delivering um, Israel from slavery in Egypt, wove into the story that picture of the greatest redemption of all. And in this redemption, you and I partake. If we know Christ is our Savior, if we by faith have applied his blood to the doorposts of our hearts, you see, Jesus is our Passover lamb. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the broken piece of Afikomen and the cup of redemption are taken traditionally in remembrance of the body and the blood of the Passover lamb. Well, my Passover lamb and your Passover lamb is Jesus. So we're nearly at the end of the Seder, and we come to the fourth cup, which is the cup of praise. So Passover is a night of praising. It's a night of rejoicing. It's a night of remembering the goodness of God. And when my family or when any of you celebrate Passover, we can remember the goodness of God when he saved our people from Israel, but we can also remember his greater sacrifice in saving us from death. So when we drink from this cup, that is what we are praising. And it's tradition at this time to sing what are known as the Hallel Psalms, the Hallelujah Psalms. And these are Psalms 113 to 118. And that 118 is found on the back of your brochure. And you know in the Gospels it says Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn and then went to the garden. And isn't it amazing? That Psalm 118 actually contains a prophecy about Jesus. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So they probably were singing one of these traditional psalms. The way that we finish the Seder is by saying together next year in Jerusalem. Because you see, my Jewish people are still waiting for the Messiah to come and to gather them and to share the Passover together in Jerusalem. So we say together next year in Jerusalem. Well, each one of us is waiting for Jesus to come a second time, the Messiah to come a second time. So we can finish our Passovers by saying together next year in the new Jerusalem. And that is how we finish our Passovers. So here we go. <laughs> Okay, how are we doing for time? Got time? All good? Yep, awesome. Okay, guys, well, I really hope this was of interest to you. I really hope you were encouraged that you saw some deeper and different sides of that story in the upper room, the Passover Jesus shared with his disciples, and you learned something. Um, I would now love to take a couple of moments to share with you a little bit about the ministry of Jews for Jesus, the ministry that I work with. So I have a video. We're going to show, and then I'll jump back on and talk to you a little bit about what I'm doing in the ministry. Jesus seemed like he could be the Messiah, but 
I'm Jewish. The person said to me, have you ever heard of Jews for Jesus? As a Jewish person, when I started to follow Jesus, people would question if you're still Jewish, if you believe in Jesus. What I wish someone had told me when I first came to faith in Jesus is that I could have a thriving Jewish identity and a thriving faith in Jesus together and not have to choose between the two. The reality is, all of the first believers in Jesus were Jewish. They saw him as the promise of the Messiah. I want to invite you to join Jews for Jesus as we relentlessly pursue God's plan for the salvation of the Jewish people. Most Jewish people in the world have never heard the gospel, and together we get to change that. You make it possible for me as a missionary to engage with not yet believing Jewish people and to tell them that God loves them. And in a sense, it's not really us doing it, it's Him doing it. We're just the ones who are carrying the message. Go and tell. That's what Jews for Jesus is best known for. It's that proclamation of the gospel out on the streets, meeting one-to-one. Come and see. And that is where we invite Jewish people to come into an environment, a community, a small group, a Bible study, and they can see the dynamic of a vibrant community of Jewish believers in Jesus. Love and serve. There's so many needs. And so we go out there lovingly feeding people, even as Jesus fed and met needs, and it opens people up to the gospel. Through your support, we can show Jewish people how beautiful God is, how beautiful Jesus is, and how beautiful the gospel is. Every week around the world, Jews for Jesus welcomes new Jewish brothers and sisters into the family of Messiah. I'm so thankful for people like you who love the Jewish people and want them to see who Jesus is. If your heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, you're going to find yourself loving the same things that God loves. You're going to enter into His passion for His people. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we've been waiting for. All that the Jewish prophets have talked about, all that God has spoken to us, every Jewish person deserves to hear the truth about Jesus. We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Come and see. Okay, so that just gives you a very small snapshot of what Jews for Jesus is doing in 14 cities around the world, working among the Jewish communities, sharing Jesus with whoever will listen, Jew or Gentile. But we're of Jewish background ourselves, so this is the people group that we feel called to. And as I said, I've been working in Sydney with Jews for Jesus for coming up four years now. And in Sydney, we do a lot of different things. One of the things we do is we have a shop which has a big sign that says Jews for Jesus out the front. You can see the picture here. This is strange, but this attracts so many people. Every week, non-believing Jewish people walk into our shop. Some come to buy the Jewish gifts we sell, but many come in and simply ask, do you mind if I ask, what is Jews for Jesus? What is this all about? Because for most Jewish people, they've never considered Jesus But not only that, they think he is not for them. They've never read the New Testament. Please, I encourage you to bail my dad up after the service and ask his story because that that was his story and his parents' story. My grandma, when she was a little girl, had um, heard a little bit about Jesus through some Christian friends of hers, and she thought, wow, he sounds amazing, but 
He's not for me. I'm Jewish. Jesus is not for me. And that was her story. And it wasn't until she was an adult and a friend of the family's who was Jewish and believed in Jesus shared the gospel with her and said, no, no, no. The New Testament is for you. Jesus fulfills the prophecies. He is your Messiah. So that is one example of one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this. So we have the shop where we get to have amazing conversations with people each week. We get to hold events in the shop. And let me tell you one story. Um, So the guy on the left, he grew up in a religious Orthodox Jewish family, and he reached out to us last year through the live chat on our website And he was seeking to know Jesus. And we as a team were able to reach out to him and help him wrestle with these questions and read the Bible with him. And he came to faith in Jesus and we all had the privilege of being at his baptism. And yeah, praise God. And now we're able to help him grow in his faith, uh, which is hard because he's from an Orthodox family. They do not like that he's following Jesus and he doesn't really have family support and they're rejecting him. So if you think of this man, just yeah, pray for him. Uh, But that is one example of Jewish people that we're able to reach in Australia. Um, And I'm so encouraged to be here and be able to share this with you guys and to hear of the support that you guys, your church has had for us genuinely. Like, as a Kiwi, this is so special for me. So thank you again. Two more things. Um, I've brought some resources over with me, as you can see on the table out there. I'll be there after the service. Please come and say hi. We'd love to chat with you, tell you more about the work we're doing, answer any questions you might have. We'll try to answer them. Um, These are two things I wanted to highlight. This is just the talk I gave, but more in depth. So if you think, wow, I know someone who would probably enjoy this, or I forgot half of it, I'd like to refresh her. Grab yourself a copy. This is um, another one I wanted to highlight. This is 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. So we have the prophecy, where it is in the Old Testament, and where it was fulfilled in the New Testament. So that's just a wonderful way to grow your own faith. Pin it up in your house and just learn the faithfulness of God through the prophecies. Okay, last thing. Everyone grab your pamphlet that was on the seat. On the third page, you will see that there is a perforated edge. So I'd like everyone to fold it over like this. If everyone can fold it over with me and then fold it the other way. Okay, then we're going to do it one more time. And then on the count of three, let's all tear it together. One, two, three. There we go. Oh, that satisfying tearing sound. Okay, so this side is for you to keep. Please take this home with you. Pop it on your fridge. This is if you would like to remember and be reminded about what you learned today. This is your souvenir from the talk. This side is for I invite you to fill out your details. There's different things you can tick, your email, your address, and then give it to me after the service. And this way, we can stay in touch with you, and we can first of all send you our free monthly Jews for Jesus newsletter which includes prayer points so you can know how to pray for us. It also includes wonderful resources for you about the Jewish roots of your faith so you can grow in your faith more. And it also just gives you updates about what God is doing among the Jewish community uh, so you can stay in touch with us that way. Um, I have a little bonus for New Zealand. I have bought some special Jews for Jesus key rings, and I have permission from my boss to give everyone who fills in this and gives it to me out there to get a free key ring. You do not have to pay for the key ring, so there's a bonus for you. I'll be at the service afterwards. Um, If you guys would like and feel to give a gift towards the ministry, you can do that by filling in the form, taking cash, 
also um, have payment on my on my phone, so you can pay by card as well. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you. Would love to meet you after service. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Rebecca. Follow us on social media. I forgot that part. <laughs> Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I always love learning that stuff, the part of our job. One more time. Come on, let's just thank her. Probably the rest of your tour uh, goes well. There's so many powerful, uh, powerful things. You know, we talked about the gospel before. You know, the one thing with the Passover, and I've shared this before, is that when the angel of the Lord passed over, he did not look at who was in the house. He looked for the blood. So you might be saying, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not. No, no. He looks for the blood. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He shed his blood. He paid the price. So you and I didn't have to. And for that, we are truly grateful. Give your life to him. Follow him. Give your burdens to him. And allow him to lead your life. Would you stand? Let me pronounce a blessing over you. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom peace and everybody said amen